We are in this study in the book of Genesis. Genesis, as Drew shared with us last week, Genesis is foundational for building our Christian worldview. For you to understand Genesis helps you understand why we believe what we believe about life, why we believe what we believe about human beings, why we believe what we believe about science, why we believe everything. You will see much of that foundation coming from Genesis. And I would even tell you that most of that foundation comes from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. He also encouraged us last week that we need to let the text drive us. Even as I was preparing for this passage, for this sermon this week, you go and you start watching a lot of Christian theologians and they start running into places that Genesis 1 is not taking us. And so it's not just the scientists of this world. It's not just the, the, the crazy thinkers. There are people who take Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and they take it to places that God did not intend Genesis 1, 2, and 3 to take us. So let's, as we are in this study, let's let the text drive us. Let's not let science drive us. Let's not let politics drive us. Let's not let our American culture drive us. Let's let the Word of God. We at Santa Cruz Baptist Church believe that the Word of God is inerrant. We believe that it is sufficient for everything we need for life and for godliness. And so we allow the Scripture of God to be the one that is speaking in and through everything that we believe in our Christian worldview. Drew also shared with us last week the context. So Genesis was written by Moses. And as he was writing it, they believed that the timing of his writing was during their exodus, when they were wandering in the wilderness. And you have to remember that context. They were coming out of the control of an Egyptian culture. And so as we read even Genesis 1 this morning, remember that they were in the wilderness. They were wandering. They were wondering, what is God doing? Who is God? I would ask you that question. Do we ask ourselves that same question in 2023? Hey, God, do you see what's going on in America? Do you see some of the things that they're teaching in our schools? Do you see what they are trying to put down us. And he goes, yes, I saw it then. I see it now. And I'm still God. And you will see that in Genesis 1. And it's a beautiful thing. I also want you to see that there is a rhythm to Genesis 1. And so as we're reading the passage, feel the rhythm of the creation account. I'll give you uh, just from the beginning... Uh, what this rhythm is. Day one and four are the poetic letter A. Day two and five are the poetic letter B. Day three and six are the poetic letter C. So day one and four, they deal with light and darkness. 
And then day four deals with the light bearers. Day two and five deals with the sky and the seas and their inhabitants. I'm calling them fish and fowl. Day three and six deals with life on land and their inhabitants. I call them the beasts and the bros. Sorry, girls, but I couldn't find a B word that just flowed through that. We're going to let Drew deal with the bros next week. And that is going to be an intense passage on Mother's Day in light of everything that is going on in our society. So you really don't want to miss next Sunday when Drew preaches Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. Man, is it foundation. It's a foundation to our Christian worldview. And is that foundation getting rocked by our society? It is, but that's next week. So you'll see this rhythm, day one and four, day two and five, day three and six. You will also see an order in this creation count. And here is the order of the creation account. You have number one, inanimate life. Number two, plant life. Number three, animal life. And number four, human life. So you see this order throughout creation, an inanimate life. And then God brings in a plant life. And then he brings in an animal life. And then he brings in human life. So let's dive in. Genesis 1, verse 3. We're dealing with day one. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Y'all feel that rhythm? That rhythm from those three verses will be repetitious through all six days. And it's so cool watching the Word of God just play out with rhythm and play out with order. And so day one is light and darkness. God spoke and there it was. Light. From the very beginning of day one, He is making a statement to his people. Do you know what his statement was? God can do with his spoken word because he is the source of light. Did you notice that we don't have the sun yet? God is the source of light, not the sun. He let his children know this from the beginning, that he created light without the sun. That's a big deal because they had just come out of Egypt where their slave owners were teaching them that the God of the sun was soul. And so they had been in a culture that didn't put God as the source of light and they were worshiping creation instead of the creator. They were worshiping soul, the sun God. There's no sun on day one. God was sending a message. He sent that message from the very beginning of his written word. You know what that message is? He's a sovereign God. He is the king of kings and he is the king of this universe. And he doesn't need the sun to bring a source of light because he is the light. That, my friends, 
is foundational to our Christian worldview. God is sovereign. He is in control. Now let's notice the order from the very beginning. The first born of the creation story is light. The firstborn takes preeminence. The firstborn in this creation story is light. It resembles its very creator. There is light and purity and in power and brightness in the benefit. We are naturally drawn to the light. And who is this source of light? Well, he dwells in an inaccessible light. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. It says, He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Jesus declared in John 9, verse 5, I am the light of the world. So God's glory shone through the face of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hey folks, this is foundational to our Christian worldview. God is light. And He shows the glory of His light when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ turned around and said, I am the light of the world. And he takes it to another level. When in Matthew 5.14 he says, do y'all know what it says? You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. We are the light of the world? Wow. From the very beginning, light is highlighted with preeminence. God is light. Jesus is light. And then he reproduces that light as we are reflecting the light of Jesus Christ to this broken world. This is the heart and soul of our Christian worldview. Philippians 2.15. Philippians 2 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Philippians 2 verse 15 says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you trusted Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is living in you, you know what? You are the light of the world. And we live in this twisted and crooked generation. And God has called us to shine His lights in the world. Wow. Well, let's look back at Genesis 1-3. 
And God said that the light was good. Do you know that Proverbs 15 verse 30 says, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart and good news refreshes the bones. Did you know that our world could use a little good news these days? And you know what he does it through? He does it through light. The light rejoices the heart. I love this Matthew Henry quote, so just receive it for a second. Matthew Henry states about this day one light. In heaven, there is perfect and perpetual light and no darkness at all. In hell, there is utter darkness with no glimmer of light. In this great gulf between these two, heaven and hell, there is a counterbalance of light and dark, of joy and of sorrow, of peace and of trouble. And we pass daily from one to the other. We work for him every day and every night we rest. Y'all see the beauty of him separating the light from the darkness? But I thought about this this week. Is there anywhere in scripture where God disrupted the order of day one of creation to show us that he is God? Look at Exodus chapter 10. Exodus chapter 10, verse 21 to 23. Anybody know what Exodus 10 talks through? The 10 plagues. Hmm, where did that take place? In Egypt. Verse 21 of Exodus 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Isn't that awesome? His children had light, and they were the only ones in the country that were not in pitch darkness. You think God was showing them something there? Light and darkness. Three days of utter darkness in the ninth plague. Wow. There's another place. Matthew 27, verses 45 to 46. Anybody know what happens in Matthew 27? Crucifixion of Christ. Got some smart people in here. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Three hours of utter darkness at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Three days of utter darkness in Egypt. You think God was showing us who he is? We can learn a lot from the creation story light and darkness. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 6. And we deal with the second day, day 2. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. 
and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. Day two deals with the sky and the seas. What is this expanse? What is this firmament, as some of your Bibles would say? Well, the Hebrew meaning for the word firmament or expanse means to spread out. To spread out. It's like a sheet that is spread around the heavens. Or like God drew a curtain in a circular fashion around the waters to separate the waters from both above and to separate the waters from below. He formed our atmosphere. And do you know how he formed it? By separation. That is another foundational principle that creates our Christian worldview. Do people in a world worldview like the idea of separation? They don't. But our God created through separation. He separated the waters. Job 26, verse 7 through 10. He stretches out the north over the void and he hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. I would spend more time on atmosphere, but it is so complex and we have a lot more days to go. And it was so. And there was evening and morning the second day. Look at the third day, verses 9 through 13, dealing with life on land. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Do you see the rhythm? Do you see the order? Life on land. This Hebrew word for gathered together or formed at the beginning of verse 9 means to stand together or to agree together. God formed the land. In this one, he didn't so much create the land, he formed the land. It's kind of like how you form concrete. He mixed, he mixed, he lets it set, it mixes, it mixes, he lets it set, and now you have land. And that separated the land from the sea. You know, Drew pointed us to Colossians 1, verses 17 last week. And that verse says, And he, being Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He holds all things together. 
He formed it. It settled. And he created the land. And he created the seas. In Santa Cruz, of all places, we should be able to see the beauty and the power of God forming creation. Don't you love it? Literally this morning, just talking with a few people, talking with Aaron before church, they went camping. They went down to Big Sur. They're just looking at these wildflowers and the landscape of Big Sur. And you just go, wow, we serve a creative God. And you go, and Nick Barbett, standing out there talking with him this morning, and he said, Rob, have you noticed the waves? The waves have been beautiful the last 24 hours. Man, they have just been firing. They're a little too big for me and Kelly to get out and surf in. We know our limits. If they're above one and a half, two feet, we're not out there. In Santa Cruz, of all places, you see the power of God as he formed the boundaries of creation. We see his order through the rhythm of tides and swells. Do y'all see that? Do you see his order and how he set the beaches and the cliffs? Listen to Job 38. Where were you, says God, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come and no further. Thus far you shall come and no further. And here shall your proud waves be stayed. That is our God. He set the boundary for the sea and he said, you will go no further. This past year, do you remember the destructive power that came in our county when the seas extended just a little bit further than their boundary? Do y'all remember that? That is power. No man can control the power of the seas. And anyone who tries learns a lesson really quickly. We are powerless. God is all-powerful. Do you know that that sets foundationally everything we believe for our Christian worldview? That's not that popular in today's worldview. Let's look at verse 11. Let the earth sprout vegetation. Let the earth sprout vegetation. And now he gives us plants. He's built the seas. He built the atmosphere. He's built the seas. He spread it. He's got the land. And now he wants to get in vegetation. And so he lets the earth sprout vegetation. Notice that. He didn't go poof and there was vegetation. But he let the earth sprout vegetation. 
And as that earth was sprouting vegetation, do you know that there were seeds inside the vegetation ready for reproduction? And so the earth sprouted as God formed the vegetation, each according to their own kind, with reproduction already in place when he said, in which is their seed? God set the DNA code from the beginning of creation. He set it. And he established reproduction from the very beginning of creation. Let me give you an example. From strawberries, we get them from strawberry seeds. I know this is very complex. I don't know if y'all can get this. Dick, if you need me to explain this to you later, I'll be happy to. We get strawberries from strawberry seeds. Do you know that we get humans from human seed? And that's the way God created it. And he created it from the very beginning. Do you know that this is foundational for our Christian worldview? And do you know that it's right here in the Word of God? How many people try to dispute, disrupt, pollute this after its kind? But this is how we as Christians have developed our Christian worldview. And so you're going to go off to college and you're going to get your head chopped open and you're going to get poured in a bunch of trash. But the beauty of it is that we don't need to be scared about that. We do not have to be scared about that. I absolutely love talking with Rachel. And John Jamansky, you would agree with this. She goes and she's being taught everything about evolution. And she goes and she's being taught everything about a new age view of reproduction. Because my daughter has a foundation in the Word of God that comes from Genesis 1, when she sees falsity and lies, what does she do? She spits that out and says, yeah, that's not true. And that's not any good. But what if your foundation is not in Genesis 1? What if it's not in the Word of God? What will you do when you get that falsity and those lies coming in? You'll go, hmm, maybe there's something to that. And then you just have this jacked up worldview that is crazy. But parents, I want to encourage you. Our kids can handle the craziness. They can handle the craziness better than we do. You know why? Because they will have to trust God if they're going to make it. When you trust yourself, you should be worried. But if you trust God and your foundation is on the truth of the Word of God, you're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. But similar to day one, I asked the question, what if God disrupted the order of day three's forming to remind his creation that he is God? Did he do that in Scripture? What about in Genesis 7? Anybody know what Genesis 7 deals with? The flood. Genesis 7. I'm going to read verses 17, 23, and 24. 
The flood continued for 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. Do you think they were thinking about Genesis 1 when they were reading that one? The ground, man, animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. The waters overwhelmed the land and lasted for 150 days, reversing what God had done in creation. Isn't that amazing? Was that chaotic? Was that devastating? You don't want to mess with God's creation. His judgment is devastating. Let's move to day four, verse 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So he's created the atmosphere. He's created the land and the seas. He's put vegetation on it. And now he's ready to inhabit it with light. This wording in day four, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And oh, by the way, as an afterthought, stars. He's God. He's sovereign. He's king of the universe. Didn't you love the songs we sang this morning? Yes. Can I just give you a quick lesson? It's a very elementary school lesson in astrology. Our astrology is based after ancient gods. Did y'all know that? Let me give you examples. Sol is the god of the sun. Mercury is the god of travel and commerce. Venus is the goddess of love and beauty. Mars, he's the god of war. Jupiter is the king of the gods. Saturn is the god of agriculture. Uranus is the earliest supreme god of the universe. Neptune is god of the sea. Pluto, well, he was god of the underworld and the darkness. What's the one planet that was left off of our list? Earth. Earth. Earth wasn't named after a god or goddess. Earth. Earth simply means the ground. Isn't that awesome? Who's in control of this whole thing? God. He has billions of galaxies 
And each of those billions of galaxies have billions of stars within each one galaxy. And God Almighty names each one and holds them perfectly. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. Who created these stars? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. You know, we have so many stars that we don't even have names for them anymore. We're calling them by letters and numbers. God knows each one by name. He hung each one of them. That's the God who we serve. Do you know that sailors have navigated by the stars for centuries? I wish I had time to tell you a story, but I don't. So just come up and ask me if you're interested in it. Sailors have navigated by stars for thousands of years. You know that every American admiral in the U.S. Navy has to learn how to sail by the stars? Swedberg, you could talk through some of this, couldn't you? Because technology, at some point, may fail us. But do you know what won't fail you when you're sailing around the world? The stars. The stars. They won't fail you. You know why? Because they're set in place by a supreme king of kings, by God Almighty, and they don't move. He's set them in place. He's ordered each one by name. That can bring us trust in the midst of chaos. The order of God's creation has not and it will not fail. Back to verse 14 of Genesis 1. He separated the the day from the night. This is fascinating. From the beginning of creation, he gave us this day-night sequence. Day-night, day-night giving us a rhythm to life. Here is how it works. We work in the day and we rest at night. We work in the day, we rest at night. We do that for six days and then what do we do on the seventh day? We rest. At least that was back a long time ago. It should be today. It really is what forms our Christian worldview. But sometimes we let those worldviews slip, don't we? The day, the night, the day, the night. Anybody ever gotten jet lag? Jake, you ever get jet lag? Right now, he has jet lag because he flew in from overseas and he's here and he's worshiping. Praise God. He didn't just wear that suit as a dress up for today. He's been working and he has jet lag because we get our days and our nights mixed up. Anybody ever gone from working the day shift to working the night shift? What does that do to your body? Do you know why? Because God designed us. He created us for this day-night sequence. It's a rhythm. It's a flow. We work in the day. We rest at night. It's disrupting, isn't it? Did you know that our brains need rest? Did y'all know that? So those of you who don't value sleep... Your brains aren't getting what they need in order 
to be functioning in the way God truly created us. We work, we sleep. We work, we sleep. That rhythm in creation came from a very gracious and sovereign God. Next, in verse 14, he says, For signs and for seasons, for days and for years. Do you know this visual constant of the sun, of the moon, and the stars? It gives us direction. It gives us navigation. It gives us weather awareness. It gives us seasons. And it gives us time. Do you know who ordered that from the beginning? A sovereign God who's in control. 24 hours in a day leads to weeks, leads to months, leads to years. They're all revolving around this repetitious orbit of the earth around the sun on a 23 degree tilt. Perfect order held by a perfect God. And our God never varies. Don't you just love it when these scientists start talking about we're doing this and it's going to cause that? We serve a perfect God. And he's holding the earth perfectly. There are seven simultaneous movements in the cosmos that have to be perfectly in sync, all with varying speeds that creates the perfect order in creation. Was that done? By coincidence? Was it done by happenstance? No, that is a Christian world view that keeps proving itself for all of history, Amen. for all of time. And so we can dispute it all we want, but God laughs at it because he's the one who set it in place. And it works like clockwork. Verse 17, continuing on day four. He gives light to the earth. Do you know the purpose of why he set the sun and the moon and the stars? It gives light to the earth so that we, his prized creation, can see and experience his glory every day. We get to see the beauty of his creation every day. This morning, I'm standing out there talking to Kim Opie and her friend. And we get to live in Santa Cruz. And the beauty of our creation, no offense, is better than anywhere else's creation in the United States of America. <laughs> and so why would anyone want to leave this place? Because it is absolutely gorgeous. We wake up and we can go look at the redwoods. And then we can move just a less than a mile away and we can see the oceans. And then, I mean, I could go on and on. It's the beauty of his creation. It's the Every day, his glory is on display right here in Santa Cruz, California. Isn't it awesome? And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Verse 20, day five. And God said, let the waters swarm in swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created these great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea. Let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. You feel the rhythm? 
You see the order. I gotta just pause for a second. Kelly and I last, I don't know when it was exactly, it was probably around this time last year. We were over on East Cliff Drive, hanging out, and there starts a little gathering of a few people, and they're starting to just chirp. Are you seeing this? Are you seeing this? And they were standing right there, Mr. Scumsville, right there at the drain pipe, right at that bridge. And now instead of five people, there are 20 people. And now instead of 20 people, there are 75 people. And so literally, Kelly and I stood there probably between 45 minutes to an hour. And you know what we did? We watched this whale. And this whale was breaching over and over and over. One of our neighbors said, she's never seen a whale spend that much time in one spot, staying in one area, just showing off. <laughs> we sat there and watched this whale for about 45 minutes, just put on a show. You know how cool that was? That was right here in Santa Cruz. And we didn't have to pay some boat to go watch that whale. <laughs> I digress. Day five is the inhabitants of the sky and the seas, to fish and to fowl. I want you to notice two firsts. Anytime there are firsts in the Bible, it is like God is putting a spotlight on it and you don't want to miss it. Here's the first one. He put living creatures on the earth in day five. That Hebrew word is nefesh. It means it has breath, it can think, and it can move. That was a first. Day five, he put living creatures on this earth. You know what the second one is from day five? And he blessed them. God blessed them. Not man first. He blessed animals. What was the blessing? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. How are fish at being fruitful, multiplying, and filling the earth? They're pretty daggum good at it, aren't they? And how about those crazy birds? You know right there at the hook, the ones that poop right there and make it all smell? They fill the earth, don't they? <laughs> Anybody ever get mesmerized just watching them, though? You ever get mesmerized just watching? Anybody ever been snorkeling or scuba diving, and you can just watch these fish for hours? Or watch these birds? They're fascinating. They're mesmerizing. And they're blessed. And we're blessed to get to see them. And God saw that it was good, and he blessed them. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Let's get to day six, verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Day six is the inhabitants of the land, the beasts. So he inhabited the sky and the seas, and now day six, he's going to inhabit 
the land. Can I say what he's speaking five times repetitiously in day six is foundational to our Christian worldview? It's foundational to our Christian worldview. According to their kind, according to their kind, according to their kind, according to their kind, five times in two verses. A proliferation of creation according to genetically determined lines as prescribed and created by God Almighty. That is foundation to our Christian worldview. Should we expect that people who can't see Christ, should we expect that people who have no view of God would be able to comprehend that? No, because they're, and I'm not saying this rudely, they're ignorant to the truth of the Word of God. Why do we get so frustrated with them that they can't see our perspective when they're living in darkness? It's something to think about. We are the light of the world. Can I say that? Y'all, we are the light of the world. If we are reflecting the light and gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not going to be so antagonistic against all these crazy people. We should actually be empathetic that they are lost and going to hell where there will be utter darkness. But if we're so busy fighting them, instead of truly reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ, we may not be doing what God has called us to do on this earth for the reason He very created us. We are the light of the world. We understand after its kind. And Drew will deal with this next week when he's talking about human beings. It is a very controversial subject, is it not? But from the very beginning, God put in his seed. And his seed, if it's a strawberry seed, creates strawberries. And if it's a human seed, it creates a human. And there are only two, male and female. But Drew will get to that next week. So when the world starts to try to teach us craziness, we can filter it through our Christian worldview and we can sit there and be at peace. Do you know why we can be at peace? Because we have a God who hung the stars in the heavens. You know what else he did? He painted the sunrise over Capitola Village. He painted the sunset right at Rockview. Anybody ever seen that? You know that's our God. And he sent his son Jesus. And his son Jesus was the light of the world. And then he turned around and said, you are the light of the world. So you know what we can do through creation? Live in the purpose with which he's created us, which is to glorify him. If I had two applications this morning, it would be this. And I'm sorry I've gone for so long. Number one, worship the king not creation. Jake read it this morning in the confession of sin from Romans 1. And man exchanged the glory of the immortal God 
for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You think, you think what that should make us register back to? Genesis 1. Man exchanged the glory of God to worship the glory of images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and they served the creature rather than the creator. And so, children of God, can I encourage you, don't be tricked. Don't go worship creation. Worship the creator. And then number two, walk in the light. Because we serve a God who separates. It's not good to be on the darkness side. What does he separate? He separates light from darkness. He separates chaos from order. He separates sheep from goats. You know who he separates? He separates God worshipers versus idol worshipers. So as we are in this wilderness of the 21st century and we're living under the control of the American cultural, wondering what on earth is going on, who is our king, wondering if God even knows, if God even sees, or if God even cares. Let's dwell on the truth of the word of God that God takes care of his people. He can stop it and be dark for three days and it'll shine a little light on his little people. He takes care of his people. No matter what danger threatens us, we can find security and rest in the creation that God created on the first week. Let's pray.